you're listening to Having a Chat, the show where we talk to interesting people with interesting tastes in music about the music that they love. I'm Alex Spears, and this week on the show, we are chatting with singer-songwriter Reva Taylor. Reva is a tremendously talented, wide-ranging, and multifaceted artist. She has just released the second installment of her new album called This Woman's Heart. She is exploring lots of new ways for musicians to get their content out there, so we're really excited to have Reva with us to chat about some music. This is Having a Chat. All right, Reva, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, so the first thing that I want to talk to you about, actually, before we get into um, your songs and the list of songs that you picked is the uh, the NFT thing. Um, and, you know, forgive me if it's something that you've been talking about a lot lately, but I, I, I'm this is the first sort of opportunity I've had to talk to someone who's who actually seems who's doing really interesting stuff with nfts but who also seems to really understand it so i i'm i was hoping that we could explore it a little bit further and the first like so i i guess just for for folks who are unfamiliar what is an nft so this is obviously an area and a definition that is sort of constantly changing while there is something that's mildly set in stone uh, i joined an interesting panel last night actually for women in music and I should add that I discovered NFTs back end of last year. First heard the, the term, said where everybody else is saying, what the hell, what's fungible? What the earth, what <laughs> non-fungible mean? These ladies have known about it for the last five years. You know, they've been headed to blockchain technology. So it was fascinating to be, to be with them discussing this amazing new space. Um, and the potential impact it's going to have on the music industry. I know I'm waffling here. So um, before coming back to NFTs, I just thought it was worth saying that even they say this is what the current definition is. And in a nutshell, and very simply, it is it is to- a form of tokenizing digitally um, a collectible. So collectibles have been around for decades, centuries, artworks. Obviously, that movement then went into you know a collectible is a, a pokemon card or a football card you know that was a way of, of tokenizing another form um this is the first time that it has moved into a digital space so this is what's exciting people and this is what's confusing people as well because especially when it comes to artwork people are saying how can we purchase something that doesn't have a tangible value, you know, something that I can't hang on my wall. Um, so yeah, in a nutshell, it is it is a digital collectible. Um, something that's fungible is something that can be exchanged for an equal value. So right, right. a pound note, five dollar note, you know, whatever, five dollar for five dollar, and this is non fungible. So it's you know a fluctuating value, right? Um, and it's based also on scarcity, so. Right and rarity so um that is the appeal i think for for music artists to be giving their audience something or potentially to give their audience something scarce and with a value that um that they can put on it um 
so yeah I'm, I'm interested to see where this space is going I'm curious and obviously I've woven it a little bit around my album launch as well so um, right. it's just the beginning yeah I mean and and it's it's the reason I find it so fascinating is because I'm always keen to find new ways for artists to actually make money and uh it seems it seems like an effective one um and i know that that's why a lot of um artists are excited about it but how it, it does seem to me like there is there is a risk that you know artists will sell it for a given amount and then and then it just kind of becomes this thing where it's just it's just being traded between you know collectors um, and the artists are no longer seeing the dough. Is that like, am I am I incorrect in that sort of understanding? You're completely correct in that that is the way that it was it was formed. Firstly, right, there was every possibility that somebody could set on this piece, this artwork, this um, audio visual, say experience. You know, artist song or part of an artist song coupled with a visual aesthetic. You know, if you look at people like Grimes's artworks, um, it's her music coupled with a moving piece of, of visual art. So someone could buy that and then sell it on. And yes, the artist may never see any royalty for that. Now, the platform that I've been releasing through, and I know a lot of other platforms have now cottoned onto this, is one called uh, Mintbase. Um, and they have, have, have realised that this is not a fair model for artists. So they're actually, um, there is a royalty, a future royalty, or it's called a forever royalty. Yeah, so, you know, you actually put that royalty on at the start. So I could say 10% in perpetuity. So if in 20 years' time, you know, I have, my demand is off the chart, um, I will always get 10% of whoever sells this at whatever value. So it's an interesting one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's and it's all moving at the moment. It's like different platforms, and there are various platforms really where you can mint your NFTs and release a little bit like I should say, like a Spotify versus iTunes versus you know, you can have your NFT on multiple platforms, um, but they're all doing things differently, and they're all learning from each other. So it's a little bit like a sort of a race for yeah. who's going to be the champ. I think at the moment. Um, of these platforms. Well, certainly an exciting time, and I'm certainly glad that there's there's ways for artists to make dough in perpetuity, because that was sort of my initial concern when I first started hearing about this. Anyway, we can move past the NFTs now. Um, I want to get to the, the first song of yours that we're going to listen to called Woman. Um, what can you tell us about this song? Oh, this is a, a very personal song. This is um, a song that is about womanhood <laughs> it's about the fact that um well it's a, a song that i think is a sentiment that resonates with a lot of women um that while we reach this point in our lives where we are called women we are still learning and um and it is a sort of it's it's opening up my heart um without being too honest about it that um there are still those times where you seek security in, in all things and for me it was it's, it's my dad because um going back many years you know he's the person that's always championed me been my number one fan got me my first record deal by sending off a tape very disobediently without me even knowing you know he's always been there so there are it's a heart back to those years you know where where there was always he was always there uh, for me still is but you know I'm a bit older now so um so yeah it's a personal one and uh yeah 
Please. Yeah, well, and and that was the the line about you know being back in in your father's arms is is the one that resonated the most, certainly for me. J- j- there, there's something universal about the idea of like the comfort of a parent. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, p- perhaps perhaps not for everybody, unfortunately, but but certainly, I'd say for a lot of people, th- that idea is is really. It's nice, you know, <laughs> when when things are getting a bit hairy, it's nice to just think back to that. Yeah, and absolutely. I, I'm at a point in my life where, um, again, I don't know if this is specific to women, but I've certainly spoken to a few about it, where, where you find yourself in a fork in the road. You know, a lot of my friends now have have changed their path. They're mothers or starting to be mothers or married and they've got, you know, but speaking with them, they feel exactly the same. And it was that line that actually resonated with them, you know, however much people move on and, and maybe mothers and, and businesswomen and whatever themselves, there are still those moments where you you break as a human being. And and it takes you back to those, those times that actually don't seem very long ago at all. <laughs> I was made to live through your pain. All that I can do is to prevail So next we're going to get into Yellow by Coldplay. Now this is a this is an interesting song cuz I'm usually one to rag on Coldplay a little bit, but this song has been in a lot of my Peloton classes lately and I've really <laughs> come to love it. Um so uh, why'd you pick this song? Again, you see I'm the queen of nostalgia. It's right. a song that takes me back to the years I can remember, it was, for me, it was some of my greatest years, mid to late teens, being in a, a car of a friend of mine who just learned to drive, the song was on, like, it felt like there wasn't really a care in the world. I don't know if you have a window in your life where you still feel, you feel secure enough in terms of parental support and guidance and you haven't next, entered that next chapter. Um, it was a song that I love. I mean, if ever I'm asked about my top five albums, you know, Parachutes, which is sitting on a vinyl on my wall um, up there, along with Fleetwood Mac rumours, is, is always up there because I think it just, I've, not only was it an incredible debut album in my view, and perhaps it was age specific, um, but I can also connect it to so many, so many memories. Look at the stars how they shine for you and everything you do 
Um, all right, now we're going to chat about uh, Wuthering Heights' Kate Bush. This is actually, this is a song that I I was not too familiar with, and I recently, just, just since getting sent this list, listened to it, and it's it's very interesting. I, I don't even think I had ever really listened to Kate Bush, so I didn't appreciate how unique her voice was. Um, but uh, what, do you, what do you like about this song, and what do you like about Kate Bush? Well... Kate Bush, I can remember as a little girl sitting in front of the TV watching her music videos. My dad had all her music videos on a cassette tape. He was a big fan. And the dance moves that you see in that video, she does all sorts of forward flips and all sorts. I used to do those in the garden, like practice them. It was her that made me do all of that kind of (laughs) really dancing and stuff. So it's not only that, people now say that I have, they can hear elements of Kate Bush. And I think how amazing it is that I have obviously absorbed the way the Kate Bush-isms when she was, when she was, you know, being played just around the house. Um, and I think she's an artist that's really inspired me. I just think this song is fascinating. It's completely off the wall. If you haven't heard it before, she has taken the story of Wuthering Heights, that Emily Bronte book, and she has created a song out of it. I mean how off the wall and and brilliant another thing that was really interesting i moved into a new apartment last year and introduced myself to the neighbor asked what she did you know she's a little older used to be a fashion designer she designed dress in that music video (laughs) and i thought you know there are people that kind of just follow you around and this has always been a song that that is part of me and i also have never done karaoke but if i was going to do it i would sing that song that's crazy though that like just like your next door neighbor like that that's that's really really wild and you know what a wonderful uh not like a, a like a sign or whatever but just just, just a nice uh, sort of little nod to you from the universe i suppose and that's exactly how i took it like it felt right to be here in a really weird year a turbulent year you know i sort of oh do i do i go to this new place do i have that change and then everything else has sort of fallen into place after after being here and then she you know, she had, hasn't said that, and I was like, yeah, it feels, feels yeah. Um, all right, we're gonna get into um, into White by Cat uh, Stevens. Um, you know, it's Cat Stevens. Like, I don't even know where to begin. Um, but uh, what do you like about the song? So, uh, again, looking back, I uh, said just a little while ago, I had a career when I was a kid. Um, it was a very different world. Uh, I got signed when I was twelve to a big major label, and. Uh, 
obviously not knowing or not being mature enough then to voice exactly what it, I thought I was. I listened to everybody else and what they thought I was, which was an artist that stood on the stage and wore the clothes that they wanted me to wear and they handed me songs to sing. Of course, there was an element of, you know, when I was 14, 15 going, oh, I like that song, I'll happily sing it. Um, but they didn't know that in my bedroom I was writing songs and poetry and stuff. And we never connected those dots, which fortunately I have now. But one of the songs that I sang, and I'm fortunate enough to have sung because I think it, you know, it introduced me to amazing songwriting, uh, singing a song called Into White, which was, is a Cat Stevens one. Um, and I've actually gone back when I now listen to those albums, which is very rare. Those, that's the song that I will often put on just because it is, it's a great song. Um, and he's amazing as a, as a songwriter. So, yeah. Yeah, so I want to I wanna explore the your time as a sort of like a, a young artist and and it's interesting because like I, I i know a few folks who were sort of i don't want to say in like similar situations but they were sort of like put on as like young performers at a very young age and 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 they they're now i guess a bit jaded about the whole industry and um kind of you know a bit they have they have a little bit of angst uh, and, and just kind of frustration with the industry writ large that you don't appear to have. Um, now that that's not uh, that's I'm on the, my best behavior. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, exactly. Like I, you know, I could be completely wrong in that. Um, but uh, has that been your experience? And if so, like, how do you kind of move beyond that to then, you know, where you're at now? You're you're still creating. You're still releasing music. You're still writing songs. How do you sort of um, handle that um... you know what the way i processed the career before it wasn't plain sailing but i was incredibly fortunate it had its extreme highs and i don't want to say extreme lows because it didn't but it it you know i felt disappointed very young working in an industry and i think every artist does i think the biggest artists in the world will feel disappointment if their albums don't do as well as they you know as the previous one or you know there's some other pipsqueak that's just been signed and they've given all their budget or whatever you know at whatever level i think you feel these things and i have i've had to do a lot of processing actually of that time because um you know you get all sorts of you're thrown into a, thrust into an adult environment very young. Let's just put it that way. Um, and, you know, not everybody likes your stuff and, and you're aware of it. And um, there are feelings of being slightly taken advantage of. And obviously when it, a few years later, when I realised that actually I'd been paying for a, for a, lot, of, <laughs> a lot of the nice things myself and all the, the first-class flights and the chauffeur-driven cars... Actually, I would have probably left that <laughs> to have had it in royalties. So, you know, th those are the things that it was all a learning curve to me. Um, I can completely sympathise with artists that despair with the industry. I do a lot of the time. Um, but I also see it as a challenge. I think everybody who is in this industry is constantly thrown challenges um, and and a few friends said to me last year, oh my God, you know, COVID and I, I don't know what to do. I'm at home and I have to structure my time. And I have to do these things. Normally I'm used to being with a boss. And I, was, uh, and I said, and they said, how are you coping? I was like, this is just another thing that an artist, <laughs> thrown in an artist's path. And we have to sidestep it and move forward. Just like when streaming happened, just like when, you know, whatever, your manager walks away and or does something else and decides they don't want to be in the industry, you're suddenly thrown out by yourself. You know, I've had that before where it's like, right, 
back to the drawing board, how am I going to move forward here? Um, and ultimately, if you, you've just got to do it for the love, yeah, the joy. And, and when you fall out of love with it, there's no point. And, you know, there are, I've been very honest with you, there have been moments where I've been like, what? You know, I'm not feeling the joy right now. And then you just have to remove yourself a little bit, process. And yeah, I, I spent a few years out of the industry when I was between the age of sort of 19 and 21. Um, I actually went and studied and it was the first time since I could have remembered that I was just being a student because I was even in theatre as a kid. So I was always juggling school and my career. And that was a really good time for me because actually it was that forced break for me to go, I'm kind of enjoying this, but actually I can't wait to get back. Whereas at the age of 18, I'd sort of gone through a wave of falling a bit out of love with it because I didn't really know what it was that I was. I was, you know, an artist signed to a label. The label was crumbling. It was EMI Records that has now been bought by Warner, so it all sorts. It's been spliced diced and and everyone's got a piece of it. Um, so, you know, I was... I, I rode that wave. I was, you know, no artist was being invested in or prioritised. So I felt that at the age of, of 18. So I was I was left feeling a little bit, hmm. Um, but actually it was the biggest blessing, I think, in disguise because I needed to work out how I was going to transition from being a child artist to an adult. And um, that was the, the false break that was, that was great and also made me, yeah, regroup. So... So yeah, I, I you know any advice that I would give artists that have a feeling that is there are so many ways to find joy, yeah, and and actually make a living in the industry um, if it is your passion, yeah, um, and it's got to be, yeah, um, because it's just too hard not to, yeah. But, well, yeah. and the passion and the resilience that comes from that passion, like I I, I like the way you describe that. How like there's just like there are just going to be like things that come along that just make it difficult and you have to sidestep them. Like whether it's, you know, as you say, like streaming pandemic, whatever, but certainly, you know, the, the resilience that I've seen in friends of mine that are musicians and, and just in musicians around the world and just finding, finding ways to make it work. It, it, it it's truly, truly inspiring. But I, I think to your point, you can't really do that unless the passion's really there. Like, otherwise you would just say, like, eh, not yeah. really, not really having it today. No, absolutely. And also there are so many ways that you can, you can be an artist now that I, I, there was a time I found it overwhelming, you know, TikTok happened and all this stuff. And I kind of thought, oh my God, I'm just, you know, I don't even love social media anyway. So how am I even going to start on this? It's another thing. But actually, well, I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> because you don't have to do these things, really. It's not a be-all or end-all. Channel your energies into doing something else. Like the writing part. Like, I don't know, trying to forge a lane or a create a team or NFTs or whatever it is. At that point, then maybe you grow your thing to such a level that someone else is posting the TikToks and it all channels and the eyes are back in there at some point anyway instead of posting something that's not authentic um, when there's a mass of other people doing it a lot better than you you know and actually enjoying it so um, that's something I've learned I think over the last few years just actually simplifying it a little bit if you're not feeling it.
sad blue-eyed drummer rehearses outside A black spider dancing on top of his eye Red-legged chicken stands ready to strive And everything into All right, so we're going to get into uh, Hound Dog uh, by Elvis. Again, you know, like, hard to know where to begin. Um, but uh, what do you like about this song? So, um, I just said about how I took myself off for a few years and had a break. I said I went to actually, I went to study um, at university. And, you know, I lie when I say I, I took a break from music. I didn't. I threw myself into all sorts, you know. I still gigged a bit and I did some, you know, some theatre and things and explored areas of music that I hadn't actually been aware of before. And, um, but the, my actual final thesis, it was, um, I, I did history. It was exploring the question mark exploitation of rhythm and blues artists in the civil rights era because I was looking at minority groups in the USA. So in all that, it touched on the appropriation of, of black music, it, um, cultural appropriation. It was all about the British invasion and you know, the likes of the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, appropriating American music at the time um, and, making it, and making it what at those times was more acceptable um so i found it all absolutely fascinating and um hound dog is a song that i always think of when i was writing that dissertation what ended up being more like a book and my lecturer was like you're gonna have to cut this down because it's only fifteen thousand words i got so into it absolutely fascinating um and um hound dog obviously was a song that was not elvis's it was released before it was performed um i think around a decade earlier by big mama thornton an amazing song that never saw the light of day that was then obviously taken by by an artist that was going to make it acceptable and um so um that is a song that takes me back to those times and actually rhythm blues music was a was a genre that i wasn't you know i didn't grow up with that my parents weren't weren't into it you know I grew up listening to as in Kate Bush um and um old 80s bands um uh like Genesis and another one of my my dad's favorite um my mum loved people like Streisand she liked the real classic Aretha Franklin yeah, you know, really classic voices um again I think you can probably hear that now I, I love the 80s but I also you know I love a good voice so um those years actually completely exposed me to a completely new era of music. So that is the song that, that reminds me of that time. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I, I always find it fascinating the extent to which a parent's um, music taste influences someone. Like, as, as someone whose parents are not particularly musical at all, or really, like, my, my parents don't even, like... They don't really like to listen to music recreationally even, but there were still, you know, bands and songs that really did have an impact. But more than that, it was wanting to 
rebel against what they were listening to that got me into you know punk rock bands and things like that did was that at all your experience the desire to you know like obviously music that your parents were listening to like kate bush did have an impact um but was there ever a point where you wanted to rebel and uh and kind of go against uh what they were listening to interesting point i don't think it was rebellion actually in this instance but i think it was definitely i went through a phase and i think it was around then of not distancing myself from my parents but but assuming a role of an adult i think and being like you know we all go through it oh my god my parents aren't always right maybe i'm right maybe maybe this is cooler than what my oh my god what i should do more of this you know i definitely went through that at university and um and yeah I think it felt fresh and cool exploring a completely different different space and music that I hadn't before and also felt like a necessary break from the place I was in, in before. And I can remember going and having a conversation with my dad afterwards. Oh, you know, you should sing that song, sing the song that you sang, you know, five years ago. And then I really liked that one. And I'm like, you know what? No, I'm like, <laughs> I've grown up. <laughs> I've been listening to a rhythm of blues music. Um, but interestingly, it, it did inform, I think, my writing then beyond that point. Definitely changed my ear. It's amazing how just a year of drumming this kind of in, it just completely changed the way that I I sang and I approached things. What I said to was high class. Well, that was the lie. And I said to was high class. Um, okay, so we're going to get into Strange by Celeste. And I heard an interview that you did where you um, you talked about, like, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to misquote you, but you, you talked about how you, with Celeste, you like to just, like, listen to it over it, like, you know, song after song, album after album. Um, with that said, why this song? And more broadly, what do you like about Celeste? Interesting. Celeste is, is a new, is an emerging artist. But a very obviously she's doing incredibly well. I've known about her for a few years because we were writing with the same people. Um, so I've been following her career. And um, in fact, Strange is written by a songwriter, a very talented songwriter uh, called Jamie Hartman, who has written songs like Human for Rag and Bone Man and cool, uh, Hold Me While You Wait for Lewis Capaldi. So um, I was lucky enough to write with him a few years ago in LA um, and I know it was sort of around the same time Celeste was writing this so when I heard that song because I'm such a fan of his writing and actually I was a fan of, of his when he was a solo artist called Ben's Brother years ago um, so it was such an honour to write with him but when I heard that song I thought it doesn't surprise me that that's a Jamie song because he just really whatever it is I just adore his style of writing but more specifically with that song, it was a song that I listened to and I thought, I wish I had written that. It couldn't have been more perfectly worded for the way that I was feeling at that moment in time. In fact, I'm pretty sure when I, I listened to it, 
I finished off the chorus you know I knew what was coming and it was just there and that rarely happens actually it happened to me when I heard someone like you by Adele it hurt. I mean they're all in a similar space I suppose these songs that very heartfelt um and you're beautiful by James Blunt and um they were yeah just those songs that sort of knock you sideways that moment you listen to them think that's that's a song that's timeless um and I think it's rare to find that these days and I think possibly purely because of the volume of music but when something really cuts through like that um I think it's quite powerful um I like in her that she's just getting on with it she's being back to authenticity completely authentic she's doing music the way that music should be done in my view um where it's all about the music and not selling herself short um so and that makes me want to know more I touch your head to pour your thoughts into my hand, but now I can. Stay in the strain. So now we're going to get into um, a song that since listening to it has been stuck in my head. Uh, Your song, Magic. Um, Where does love go when it's gone is a line that has... Like, I I heard that and I was kind of like, oh, shit. Where does it go? What can you tell us about this song and uh, and what inspired that line uh, in particular? So Magic is a song that is written about the powerful feeling of falling out of love. Um, me and the other writer, called Phil Barton, wrote it over in Nashville. I had actually written it years ago. Um, it's a very rare thing on this album because they were all written in lockdown, really, aside from that. Um, but I had it on my laptop. It was in a very different form. In fact, it felt quite country. Um, I'd imagine having been written out in Nashville. And um, and I played it to my A&R guy, and he was like, why have you not done something with this? This is great. Like, you know, it was very rough around the edges, very raw. Um, and it was always a favourite of mine, so I'm pleased we have. But it was written on a day where, you know, I didn't know this guy, as often happens. You go into a session, someone says, you know, you guys would write well together. And I said, you know, I'm feeling good, actually, because I had broken up with this guy and um, I've been thinking about him a lot and thinking about made the right choices or whatever, as you do. And that day I'd woken up and I realised I hadn't thought about it. <laughs> and I was living my life normally um I was myself again and and I said it feels like you know love is gone and I feel liberated by it and that's a really nice feeling because normally you talk about magic and the magic feeling of of love yeah um but actually it can be magic when you're on your own and you're yourself yeah. and um so yeah that's what it's about and the question of where does that love go something that can be so powerful and absorbing and everything where does it go when it's gone 
It's like like energy, isn't it? Is it transferable? Has it gone into something else? Yeah, well, and and certainly like that. Uh, there's always, I feel like, that moment in a uh, in a breakup where just like you're you're uh, one day you're just consumed by sadness and 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 things like that and then and they're usually like at least in my experience um there is usually that one day where you wake up and it's just all right that's i'm good now you know what i mean like it, it really yeah like that but yeah that line really it resonated big time and and hearing and hearing that description makes it resonate all the more what the hell went wrong what the hell went wrong it's over and done, over and done It's like magic, magic, magic I feel nothing now I go round and round and round I can't figure it out Disappeared up in smoke Oh my God, where did it go? It's like magic, 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 magic Where does love go when it's gone? We're going to uh, wrap up now by just having you um, plug your, you know, latest release, upcoming releases, really anything that you want. Um, I don't know what your plans are in the UK for gigs, but uh, but yeah, feel just fire away. Anything, uh, anything you think uh, the people ought to know. So gigs are all in discussion at the moment, but I am going to be doing something actually for a very belated launch for the album um it's been such a shame because i was meant to have one for the first part of the album this woman's heart point one and it fell on the week that we went into lockdown here so um so yeah i'm going to be doing that but that aside got plans to release a little more music actually um which is cool i mean we had so many songs to choose from for this for this record so um there's a lot more in the bank and uh yeah keep following on socials um reva taylor on instagram i am reva taylor on twitter um and obviously more nft drops as well coming which which would be cool yeah love it all right reva thanks for taking the time thanks so much for having me Thanks so much for joining us this week. As always, you can find full versions of this show wherever you get your podcasts or at havingachat.com. The show is produced by myself, Alex Anderson, and Hillary Johnson, and all social media and marketing materials are created by Petra Walker. Theme music is composed by Duncan Briggs and Sugar Glass. And if you have the time, please feel free to rate us on your podcast app of choice. It really helps us out. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.